And welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. The word of the week this week, Stefan. Mm-hmm. Drums. Drums? Yes, drums. As in drama or uh, drums? As in, as in drama. I don't ah. know. Apparently, I'm just I'm trying to be hip. Okay. That's, I I'm thought, into it. I heard that's what the kids were saying. Drama? Drums. I'm pre- oh, drums. Drums. All right. Short for drama. Right. Well, are, are, I feel like your listeners are hip with the kids. So let us know, listeners. Are, are, <laughs> is drums a saying that is now, or, and are you hip with the kids? I All am right. no longer the least cool person in this room. <laughs> <laughs> you are listening to The Green Majority. The reason we're, we're having uh, talk about drums was uh, we're going to get a little bit more to it in the second part. We have an interview coming up first. Uh, but just to tease what we're going to be talking about today, we'd uh, tweeted out a little bit uh, that we'd be talking about COP21 and the TPP some more today. Uh, that was my plan. The TPP has been bumped to next week. Apologies. That was uh, the response to people who have been voting for the news. Uh, the reason it was bumped was we have some breaking news. Um, and that there was some drama in, uh, there. You may have seen some teases about this in social media um, about a secret deal between, for sure, Pembina and uh, up to three other environment groups that have not yet uh, at least at, as of this very minute, identified themselves or been for sure identified. We've heard some rumors. Um, and understandably, some people are pretty upset. We're going to get into the deals, details that we do have and chat a little bit about well, how we feel about the, the limited information we do have at this point coming up in the second half of the program. And then, of course, later in the program, we'll talk a little bit more about Paris and COP21 and how that's going. Uh, some of the acclaim for Trudeau, some of the criticism of Trudeau and, uh, and, uh, and that whole story as well. Uh, but as soon as we uh, are ready in just a minute, we'll also be talking to Dave Berliner, who is uh, from Copower. Uh, and I will uh, say this again when we get him on the line as well. But uh, for both disclosure and bragging rights purposes, uh, I was in Dave's class. So this is an old schoolmate for uh, disclosure and bragging purposes. <laughs> bragging because he's got a really cool program, uh, really cool, um, uh, I'm assuming company. I, I hesitated there for a minute for sure, uh, but I believe it is just a, a company, but the idea is called Copower, and uh, what they do is they help people essentially use small amounts of funding to uh, build up renewable energy, not just on, on their own property and sort of in the other scale as well, but but in the larger scale as well. Uh, I believe we have Dave on the line. Are you there, David? Hi, Darren. Great to be here. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. I know it was, uh, we were hoping to get you in the studio today, and I, uh, people can sometimes catch me that I, that I pre-program tweets, because I think a tweet went out this morning uh, saying you'd be in the studio. But you were, you were having to be shuttled off elsewhere today, but we were, we were happy you were able to make time for us. Yeah, I'm thrilled to be here, and, uh, and uh, I love the studio at Hart House. <laughs> I, was, I was working there when, uh, when they changed the studio and brought you, uh, brought you inside the, the, uh, the old castle building. Yes, yeah, so it's been quite a time. We'll have to have you back another time, but uh, for now, we're just limited uh, to the radio. Um, can you please tell us a little bit more about Copower? As I was just saying, um, this was a project you started shortly after we were in school together, and it's sort of funny from my perspective because we've touched base a few times uh, since we were in uh, school. Uh, I, in fact, uh, helped work on your crowdfund video as well uh, for both disclosure, again, and bragging purposes. Uh, and then now um, the, the project seems to have uh, blossomed finally and is now in this thing so i give a very limited explanation there about sort of allowing people to uh sort of group together in a very easy and organized way to help build up renewable energy and and make it an investment uh as well can you please do a better job of explaining sure well i we start from co-power at the premise that and um, your values should align with your investment portfolio and your investment portfolio is a reflection of who you are. And so for the majority of Canadians that have a very strong environmental consciousness that's reflected in how much time Canadians spend outdoors, which is reflected in how much Canadians give to environmental charities, um, the, the investment portfolio is now the next frontier. Saying, look, I've got this huge uh, asset that I can use to achieve the environmental objectives uh, that I want. We do uh, that. We, we make green investing simple by running an online investment platform where uh, all Canadians can go on and uh, view loans to clean energy projects uh, that we're uh, curating. We're doing the analysis. We're doing the structure, and we're making sure all the loans are, are well vetted and uh, make it easy for people to, to align their portfolio with their values. Uh, so, so far, we've just been working with some... Um, investors. Uh, my co-founder and I started the company two years ago. We've got some great partnerships going since, 
and in January we'll be launching the platform for Canadians across the country. So just to uh, sort of be clear, because we've uh, we've talked about solar share in this program before, we've had Tim Nash in to talk about uh, sort of the the market in general. What are they doing? The the piece of the puzzle here that you're filling is is a, is a little bit different in that, uh, unlike solar share, for instance, which is you know helping to uh, invest sort of directly in a co-op model, um, this is a very capitalist ap- approach, and it's it's a very um, sort of it's still sort of a very profit driven approach. It's just uh, profit driven around things that uh, somebody may find uh, more ethical than other investors. Absolutely, and I think for us, it's all about getting to scale. Right? We need to mobilize huge amounts of capital uh, and then have that capital invested into clean energy. Uh, and the way that we think about getting to scale is by having investments that are market or above market, but that also have uh, measurable social and environmental impacts associated with them. So the loans that we make are to uh, infrastructure assets, so it could be solar uh, panels on rooftops, it uh, could be energy retrofits in different buildings. Um, it, uh, we look at different types of geothermal energy projects and LED lighting retrofit projects, and um, we make loans to those projects that generate power and use that revenue to pay back investors uh, over time. So, can you just uh, clarify for me uh, exactly? It was that piece that I wasn't uh, that I wasn't quite sure on as well. So, uh, people are are uh, putting so so. I've got five hundred bucks and uh, and I give it to you guys, and you guys make investments and then send me a check. Or how involved am I in which specific projects are getting funded? So, as the platform evolves, we'll have different types of uh, small products that you can view. So, our first green bond is opening up. Uh, in January with a $5,000 minimum investment. Um, it'll be backed by uh, a handful of different projects. Uh, there's going to be a few solar projects and an energy retrofit project in there. Uh, and you'll start getting a check uh, the next month. And so as you go on, you'll be able to see, uh, you know, I, I want this feature. I want a feature that has a, a shorter term associated with it or maybe a, a higher interest rate. Um, or I'm, I'm specifically focused on projects that are uh, in my community in Vancouver and my community out in Halifax. Uh, and so there's a, a small amount of tailoring that can happen within this uh, product feature. Can you talk to us a little bit more about um, the need, obviously? So your your model is to address a, a need specifically. And um, one of the things that we hear sometimes was that, um, you know, and, and of course we don't believe this on this program, but this is the argument you sort of hear in, in you know, the National Post and stuff is that, well, you know, renewable energy is very nice, but um, but it's the reason we, we're not, you know, off oil yet is because, uh, you know, renewables aren't ready. And so uh, the idea, I think, to some, to some people, and maybe not to the, to the audience on this program, but just speaking to sort of the Canadian public in general, that, you know, the thing that's holding back renewable energy is they just don't have enough capital and it's not that it's not ready, it's that, uh, you know, that's it's just not getting an, enough investment. I, I think that alone, sort of the uh, the, ba- the very underpinning of the, your entire model, I think would surprise some people. Can you talk a little bit about that aspect, about just how much the gap is simply capital investment to get this stuff in the ground as far as actually building this stuff? Yeah, and, you know, and I'm always so surprised when I hear people talking about that because today renewable energy is a $300 billion a year market. Right? Warren Buffett is uh, doubling down on his... Um, billions invested. Goldman Sachs just announced they're going to triple their clean energy allocation. So this is a global market that is um, not this sort of niche, fringe, nice, loosey-goosey thing, but that is delivering power today at cheaper rates than uh, coal and gas in about 35 different markets in the world. In India, the power uh, RFP went out and it the solar contracts that won because they're delivering power cheaper than coal. Full stop. In 35 different markets, there's a radical uh, lefty uh, group called Greenpeace. No, no, it's actually Deutsche Bank that came out with a report that said <laughs> 35 markets, solar is cost competitive against the power uh, in the market today. No subsidies. Full stop. So uh, maybe in, in 2000 this was the case. Maybe in 2009 this was the case. But over the past six years, since uh, you know we were we were sitting around uh, the table university, the the cost of these um, technologies like solar has gone uh, down remarkably. 
the, the, the rise of clean energy is being driven um, in part by a moral stand that governments are taking and saying we're putting portfolio standards in, we want to be sourcing um, energy from clean sources, we want to close coal plants because it's costing uh, millions and billions of dollars a year in, in, in health side effects. Um, but it's also being driven by the economics of clean energy being uh, more cost-competitive than some of the traditional fossil uh, sources. So one of the th- things going on right now, uh, and sorry, again, if you're just tuning in, we're speaking to uh, David Berliner from CoPower uh, about renewable energy investment uh, tools. Um, and one of the things obviously going on right now, David, is uh, I'm sure you're perfectly aware is COP. We have the, uh, the the international meetings happening right now. We'll be talking about that a little bit later in the program. But just as far as like from a business point of view, there is potentially going to be huge impact one way or the other on your business, sort of regardless what deal or deal does or does not materialize out of this. Um, so is there anything particular that you're are, you're looking for? Is there specifically like any particular part of a deal that might have a huge impact on uh, your sector as it is maybe if we got, uh, I don't know, say like killed all fossil fuel subsidies or something like that? Is there anything specific you're looking for or worried about or hopeful for or anything like that, that from the meetings right now that might directly affect what you're doing? I think in the lead up to to these negotiations, you saw a huge amount of um, of announcements and support, uh, even in Canada. Right? So you have an Alberta climate change plan um, that involves uh, a price on carbon, that involves um, their first energy efficiency plan, which they hadn't had before, um, and an, an increased allocation to renewables. Same when Saskatchewan, sixty percent of their electricity to come from renewables in the next couple of decades. Um, so I think those types of negotiations going on at a global level trickle down to um, policies at the national and then the provincial and even at the at the city level that have a, a direct impact on increasing the availability of, of renewable energy. Um, I think also getting uh, the fossil fuel subsidies out of the system um, is going to be a, 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 was a pledge in, in the uh, Liberal government platform. Um, and there's huge amounts of subsidies, even in Canada whether it's uh, going to some of the oil sands out west or whether it's um, in remote communities up in the Arctic and in, in northern Quebec and in uh, northern Manitoba, where there's communities running off of uh, dirty diesel generators, um, there's opportunities to come in and provide clean power. Um, what's needed is, in some cases is the regulatory environment to do that. Is a, uh, you have all these sort of ingrained subsidies uh, and you need someone to come in and say, well, let's balance this out and let's make the playing field even. And it's, it's, it's sort of the funny, um, that's the funny part of the equation that I've, that I've always found very amusing and why, I mean, and a little bit in the, in the last couple of years, but historically, like when, when we were in school and even, even a few years ago, um, at, at the sort of political level, there was, there was really never any serious talk about, um, getting rid of uh, subsidies for oil. And it seems like it wasn't even a, a discussion. Uh, it wasn't a, anything specifically. I mean, again, you know, there's always exceptions, but I didn't, we didn't hear too much talk about it. But it, it always, even from sort of, you know, quote-unquote activist groups, but it, it always made me laugh really hard because it's sort of, you know, the idea of, well, you know, free market everything. You shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't prop up technologies that aren't ready just because um, you like them. Stop picking the winners. You know, these are this is all the language that we've always been, you know, been hearing from years to talk against renewable energy. Meanwhile, the, some of the richest corporations on the planet have been getting, you know, tax handouts on top of their, you know, billion dollar uh, profit margins uh, and stuff. And um, it, it seems like one of the factors here that's that's come along has been this uh, conversation around the sort of social license to operate. Um, and I think that um, that's responsible for for some of what we're seeing right now, and and also hopefully some. Um, a lot of interest in in what you've been doing, and I've been seeing. You know, been t- I've been going to a lot of renewable energy events here in Toronto, and we've got you know people like uh, SolarShare and everything as well are are getting very busy with questions at the very least, if if not doing a lot of business. Um, do you do you see this as uh, maybe something that you might have uh, got on the ground floor of, and that uh, we're about to see an explosion of the, of this type of investment? When we were back, um, you know, in in the uh Early 2000s, mid 2000s, uh, there was a, a divestment movement starting on some of the campuses, and we were saying, uh, in the same way that it took a couple decades for universities and the University of Toronto endowment to divest from uh, owning tobacco stocks, while at the same time they were doing 
lung cancer research across the street. Um, that divestment of climate change movement, so divesting out of oil and, and fossil fuel assets, um, was just starting five or six, uh, seven years ago. It was small groups talking about it. Today, it's a $2.5 trillion divestment movement. Right? The big uh, pension funds uh, and, and, and sort of a big irony, uh, the Rockefeller Brothers Fund is divesting from oil. The Rockefeller Brothers Fund, obviously, um, launched with the Rockefeller money from Standard Oil uh, over the past couple of years, uh, like the past couple of centuries. So that discussion is coming because, uh, one, people are seeing uh, a moral stand. They look, I want to be divesting out of uh, things I think are bad for the future and investing in things I think are good and the line of values. Um, but they're also coming from a place of fiscal responsibility. And so uh, the report that, uh, that Corporate Knights put out a few weeks ago showing um, the University of Toronto endowment would have been $500 million richer had they divested from fossil fuels three years ago. I mean, that's a fiscally responsible thing to have done that they didn't. Uh, and I think the impetus is, is, you know, it shouldn't be on, on the divestment movement to say, we think you should divest of fossil fuel. It should be on people to say, well, here's why I think we should actually continue to be investing in this, and it isn't uh, a big risk to our portfolio. So I think there's a huge movement of, uh, of individual investors that want to divest and then invest into something good, and that's where uh, we hope you'll come uh, to Co-Power and, and be part of our launch in January, um, as well as larger asset managers and pension funds and, and uh, more traditional forms of, of capital. All right. Well, I'm afraid we are actually out of time, uh, David, but I want to thank you so much for your time uh, to sharing with us uh, some a little bit more information about Coal Power and, and some brief thoughts on, on COP21 and other stuff. I just I also just wanted to say as well before uh, we sort of got off, I think one of the one of the things that I like the best as far as me specifically about this uh, feature as well is that uh, something it's, it's it's you're not the, the only people that are doing it, but it's something that I see is overlooked very often with this sort of thing was that you're actually grouping so, you know, solar and geothermal and all this build stuff, but also energy improvements in the same type of thing and I think that I would like to uh, commend you for that I think it's a uh, very very important way to sort of combine uh, solutions do you want to take a last opportunity to let people know um, if they're interested where do they sign up to get more information where can they learn about uh, you and CoPower uh, at uh, our website copower.me is the best place to check us out you can uh, hit our get started button and sign up and we'll let you know uh, when we launch uh, towards the end of January alright thanks so much for your time David Great. Thanks so much for having me on. All right. Take care. So we're going to go now to Edward, who is going to tell us what we're listening to. But um, I think I told you what we're going to be listening to this week. So you can read it to them, Edward. Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> I, was, I took control of the music this week. Not often, but yes. I did. Well, this is, this is definitely different than, than what I usually pick. Um, I was in a funny mood. That's why. Okay. Well, yeah, just so I, people I, understand. I haven't listened to it yet, so maybe I'll like it. Maybe, <laughs> maybe this will be our new theme. Um, <laughs> this is... Um, Hamdullah by the narcissist. And if I go back to Basra, will it ever receive me? Bismillah. Homies that have the time to talk. Now I wish for stars that angels find a walk. Alhamdulillah. I stand all at the strength of my sister. Kiss her and thank God. Our mission is planned for. Bismillah. Mamati inti hayati. Mom, the best one. Hold her close to heart like my left. Alhamdulillah. For the truth in a being is beaming as the moon queen. You bless my future to be with. Bismillah. For the soul's anguish, love. In the moment, my brother's program. These drums, alhamdulillah. We put the truth to the test, proof that we bless students of this music at best it goes. Militants try to split this law. Alhamdulillah. For every living day that we spent in the rays of the champs while we praise the condemned. Bismillah. Wish I could take it back and lift the harm. Make a track, erase the past that we missing. Alhamdulillah. He's 
spoke so right and listen wrong Living wrong more than a living song Giving Bismillah So I don't rely on an image All man-made divisions Fall and slave prison Excuse me if I use it loosely Forget to bow down and pray How proud are they? Hope you hear the whispers Then that's which stance Should I sway betray my whispers? And we're back Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM And yeah, I just felt like narcissist this week So right. I, uh I told Edward what to play. Usually Edward picks, their, picks his own music. Usually all of our, our texts pick their own music. But there you go. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Aaron Kaster, sitting in studio this week with Stefan Hostetter and Kevin Farmer. Uh, we just heard from uh, former school chum and uh, currently uh, uh, co-partner with Co-Power Me as well a minute ago. If you missed that, you can check the website for the podcast uh, uh, for more information about that as well as some other cool stuff you're doing. So uh, if you have a five minutes, if you're bored, if you're currently stopped at a stoplight, GreenMajority.ca on your phone will get you all sorts of cool stuff, including uh, the extended podcast version of the show. So if you're listening live, there is actually an extended show you'll be finding on the website. So if you can't get enough of us, there is more. <laughs> oh, wow. There's always more. Only like 10 minutes more. But we yeah. just we get some we get a little bit more cash. Hmm. It's just hard to understand what would be more cash than this. Yes. But even more cash. We I think, used cash and drums. <laughs> I think we're really, really hip with the kids. I, I, in the after show, I actually take my shoes off. That's how relaxed we are. Wow. Uh, all right, so we're going to get in right into it. So there's um, some drums, as you just said again right. this week. So we heard. Um, <laughs> I can't some... take this. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin's going to walk out if we say drums one more time. I, I refuse to be dropped off at school by you guys anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're the least cool parents I've ever had. All right. <laughs> Don't make me do your homework for you. Um, so what happened essentially? So I'm, I'm going to miss part of the story. I'm going to I'm going to ask that that uh, you gentlemen jump in uh, if and when I miss a detail. It will happen. But so this is sort of uh, breaking news. But what we heard essentially was um, uh, I'd seen from a few sources people reporting um, that environmental group, uh, some big environmental NGOs had stabbed the uh, rest of the movement in the back. Um, we do not yet know. That will be the first thing that we say that we know. We know that we do not know for sure. Two things. We do not know the necessary specific details of this agreement. And we do not know who three of the four groups are. Uh, we do know that one of them is Pemita. And what appears to have happened is that at some point recently in the uh, recent past, uh, Pemina and three other environment groups uh, essentially had secret meetings um, with the premier of Alberta and uh, several CEO or executive types from oil companies. What apparently seems to have happened was that uh, there was an agreement that essentially by getting the oil companies to agree with the premier of Alberta that there would be an, event an absolute cap on emissions just, you know, beyond where we are now. So it expands for now, but eventually it will stop and come back um, in exchange for these big ENGOs uh, basically shutting the hell up about oil well, in Canada. No, uh, well, specifically not oil in Canada, specifically about pipelines. Uh, specifically, uh, basically all... <laughs> basically everything having to do with uh, the the Alberta tar sands. So it's basically leave the tar sands alone and we'll accept this agreement. Uh, based on that first burst of information, I would like to go around for comments on... Um, so th there's two there's two reactions we can you can have to this based on the limited amount of information that we know. I'm going to reference... Uh, uh, um, a story in a minute that that we uh, we read before the show, uh, but just based on that information, I think the ways that you could go on it was, oh, good, we got them to agree to stuff, um, and that's good. The other way to go is, why was there a secret deal, and isn't it funny how, um, for sure, the one group we know about, and almost certainly the three we don't, uh, probably take a whole bunch of money from the oil companies? Did they just sell us out? Uh, so again, with the limited information we have at this point, what are your initial thoughts on that part, Stefan? I'm going to take the devil's advocate. I think uh, specifically, first of all, uh, it, Pembina has it, everyone. What's interesting about Pembina, I think, is that it's so commonly experienced as uh, it is the one place you go to find actually good, like solid data about the tar sands. Um, and at the same time, they've been accepting money very openly from the major emitters for a while. 
uh, you know, there that I was actually before this before this meeting uh, earlier today, I was talking to a friend of the show, Rob Shirky. Uh, first up, shout out to North Vancouver, and 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 uh, I'm not sure if you've done that on the show, mm-hmm. uh, but Rob Shirky is part of our horizon. He's been trying to get warning labels and gas pump nozzles. Um, and North Vancouver has agreed to. That's a fantastic news. Um, but uh, I was talking to him about it, and he was telling me about the sort of the history of Pembeta and that it came out of a um, came out of after a oil um, uh, an oil spill in in, in in Alberta, and it came out actually. And their goal wasn't their goal was never to stop the oil sands. Their goal was to how can we do this better. That was always the framing of the organization. Uh, and, so, and with that framing, it, it was very easy for them to take money. Uh, from the major oil, the, the, the major oil companies, uh, and they're not hiding it. They're not hiding it at all. It's it's, it's front and center. Uh, you know, I think we also tweeted out uh, the pictures of their gala with the four major sponsors all being major oil sands committers. Like this is the the Pimbana is not secretly involved with the oil sands. They are very openly involved with taking a ton of money from the oil sands mm-hmm. um, or tar sands, uh, and then and then the other three groups, whatever. Uh, you know who knows who they are, and I think in part that's an interesting question. Uh, what I love about I, I have two thoughts before we go to Kevin because I'm sure Kevin will completely disagree with me. Uh, the first thought is I love. Well, we, I'm sure we will post the Financial Post article that sort of that talks about this to our thing. The Financial Post article I find fascinating uh, because it is the exact opposite of the conversation we're having right now, uh, which is that all of the little, the small oil sands emitters are pissed at the four, at the four, uh, the four major oil sands emitters who agreed to this deal, uh, and so it, the, the whole thing is framed as this is breaking apart the coalition of tar sands organizations within Alberta. Yeah, well, it's it's um, uh, it, it it potentially is going to create a, an irreparable rift in the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, yeah. who's the the very person who has been. And, you know, we've spoken about Ed uh, quite a bit about, uh, for instance, uh, people like Rex Murphy mm. and Peter Mansbridge going and speaking to this organization. So, I mean, that that is an interesting caveat yeah. um, that it wasn't simply a it, it, I think we can say for sure mm. there's a spectrum people. There's more than it's more than binary. And on the spectrum, we can say for sure it wasn't the extreme uh, nefarious end. Which is to say, maybe it's a six out of seven instead of a seven. Who knows? But it's not a seven because uh, a lot of oil companies are very upset as well. Yeah. That's an interesting. That's an interesting caveat to the story. Yeah. Uh, and so, the, so the second part about this, what I think is the um, the part that is not going to be talked about by environmentalists because the story. When we, like, I think it's interesting whenever you hear a story uh, and you immediately go to the what the headline is, what the headline's going to read to all the different groups of people who hear it, and obviously the. The, what you're going to read as an environmentalist on, this, on a headline for this story is going to be we uh, we were stabbed in the back by by these uh, by these four environmentalists who went in, who went into bed with with people who we def, desperately are trying to stop. How dare they? Um, but at the same time, what is interesting about this agreement in, in contrast with most other agreements that have been made with um, uh, with 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 producers uh, or with you know with polluters uh, is that this agreement. Is kind of the is the flip side, I think, of most agreements. In that, the the environmental groups got something immediately, uh, which was the actual you know, which is, there is an actual cap on uh, Alberta has a cap now of 100 megatons, which still allows it to expand for 30 more megatons. It's, it's not a great cap, but 70 to 100 is quite yeah, a bit of expansion. Exactly, yeah. Uh, but there's you know, there's we got a climate deal in Alberta, um, and what the what the what the oil sands gets is this promise that we might do something. How often does do, do do we as environmentalists get to trade the idea that we might do something for actual things? I don't, I don't know. I, I I think I have to just disagree on a factual yeah. nature. There, there is no there's no binding agreement as far as we know. So nobody nobody is necessarily going to do anything. Well, exactly. Um, but you know, but we do have an agreement that was that, like that these four industries did back the Alberta climate the Alberta climate plan. And again, everything can be broken. Nothing is binding really. Uh, but I think it's an interesting. Ter- I think it shows the power of environmental the environmental movement that for, for once we get to the people who are just promising something rather than the people who are at, rather than the people who are getting something right now like the flip side of this is if the agreement had been something like okay we will the, the, the plan will be something like we will try to reduce you know emissions targets of some nature um and then for you to actually right now support us in this one project like uh, that, I would be like, that's that's what we're used to in the environmental movement. So I'm at least speaks to some of the power we have of the environmental movement that we're flipping the script on this one. And we got something now and for a promise we might deliver on later. All right. Well, I, uh, I have several counterpoints to that, but I'm going to let Kevin go first because he might double up on me. Mm-hmm. Kevin Farmer. 
Oh, am I here? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. Meanwhile, back in the real world. Wakey, wakey, Papa uh, Bear. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. We've got to wait to see what the details are, but I, I just don't, again, I've got no use for uh, anything that's about making progress <laughs> that isn't also sufficient progress. Um, and this just sounds like more of the same, at least on the face of it, without more details. Like, I can see what the, the oil producers are getting out of this. Um, it's not clear to me what environmental NGOs are really getting out of this, ultimately, unless it's just to say, well, we made some progress on this, right? Like, uh, and we just, you know, if we're going to continue to talk about the tar sands in terms of their um, uh, specific emissions, the emissions from extraction, and not the fact that everything that's coming out of the ground is destined for the atmosphere and the oceans as its own form of emissions at the end of the pipelines. Uh, this, this conversation just doesn't live in the real world. And, you know, I don't want to spend any more time on it because uh, um, really what I just alluded to is the larger context that's COP, and I know that's coming up, and that's all I've got. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I, I have a... a, a, a I have, I have some other side of the coins from what you were just saying, Stephen. So uh, a few things. So I, I'm going to reference the article that we were teasing in a second. Um, but the, the first thing uh, – well, maybe I won't because it's all kind of like within historical context here. But um, so what, there was an article – again, we will definitely be posting this. It was from uh, the Georgia Strait. Uh, it's called Are Green Groups Ready for a Tar Sands Deal? Dated November the 20th. And in it, there's a number of interesting uh, things. I rec- it's a recommended read uh, for this issue because it's a recent story. What it talks about, though, um, specifically at the end, was a, um, a comparison to the Canadian Boreal Forest Agreement, uh, which uh, or the Great Bear Fo- uh, Rainforest Agreement, which, of course, was uh, uh, very much spearheaded by Spore Berman, um, who uh, was, but I believe is no longer officially, I, I, maybe someone can correct me on that, associated with forest ethics. No longer. No longer. Um, and there was, uh, while Sapora, uh, according to this article, still uh, claims that deal was a success, uh, it was in a lot of ways, I think, even if it was a success in other ways, uh, identified as a failure because eventually um, uh, many of the, it was a similar deal where uh, groups like Greenpeace and Forest Ethics uh, came to the table and said, okay, we're going to lay off uh, some of the forestry activism that we're doing, if we regret you to agree to this deal, uh, years later, uh, almost none of the agreement had been reached, and eventually people started pulling out because it wasn't doing anything. Um, in addition to it not working, uh, at least not working as advertised, um, it also created a really hard to repair and arguably still being repaired relationship with a bunch of aboriginal groups who said you just made an agreement that affects us and you didn't not only did you not let us be part of the deal uh you didn't ask us and you didn't consult us in any way and you basically just decided that you were going to impose this on us um so the historical lesson here which is the uh, which is interestingly before this announcement was was made there apparently were some rumors that something might be coming and so um support was asked and said that uh, she absolutely did would not be interested in doing a deal because of the uh, you know the apparent failure of the previous one. So my concern here is is to uh, upon referencing that is sort of twofold. One of them being um, that again with, without a without any deal and uh, but with an, an, a tentatively immediate. I'm, I'm not sure I would agree with you on that, Stephen. I think the people who do stuff today are the environment groups who've agreed to shut up about it. And the, the th- people who will will act uh, have a lot of time to decide uh, how and when the, and if they're going to act and in what nature. And uh, my concern here is that the, what this is simply going to do is going to take pressure off that will allow some pipelines to come through, which is essentially what the deal is talking about. We'll stop uh, saber rattling about pipelines if you agree to this cap. They get the pipelines built. Then we have physical infrastructure investments, and uh, we've locked our uh, some amount of economic capital into the pipeline infrastructure. And then, oh, now that we have the pipelines that that you guys thankfully shut up about, well, great. Now you can throw the cap out the window. Um, So uh, I don't think we have any reason to – I personally do not see any reason to be hopeful about this, and I agree with the people who are upset. Uh, about this, uh, perhaps for a slightly more nuanced reason, uh, but I think this is the bad end of the deal. The second thing I want to say, and then and then we'll th- I'll throw back to you, Stephen, for uh, for more comments about that. Um, was that also I think regardless of the content of the deal, this could be the best deal in history. I still think it was a massive miscalculation by the environment groups, and because again, even if this was a great deal, the absolute revolt of all of the groundswell of the just sort of local activists and and smaller groups is going to do so much damage to these larger groups that they might have just 
cut themselves off at the ankles, even if it's a good deal from being able to generate any movement on any other issue or this issue or to respond to it if the deal falls through, which I think was part of the intention of it in the first place was to create, yes, they took a rift in the oil companies, but they've also just created a massive rift among the big groups and the small groups on the ENGOs. And I think what this has done essentially is, uh, again, without knowing the details of the the deal, was essentially put these couple of oil companies that now have the the better end of the deal uh, in a path to do whatever they like, and everybody else is busy scrambling around picking up body parts. Yeah, I. This is what I meant when, <clears throat> or this is what I was thinking at least when I said it's it's easy for me to see what the oil producers are probably getting out of this, and it's less clear to me what the NGOs are getting out of it. And I, I that's what I'm wondering myself exactly is that it seems like if a hail mary to get some pipelines through. Well, but but you can if you if you royal you know what we what we lovingly refer to as the the environmental movement with a lot of internal strife. Um, that that gets played out publicly, whereas what goes on behind the doors of the meetings of CAP, we don't know, right? And like we don't know, we don't know what takes, but we don't we don't have the minutes of their meetings. But the strife that goes on in in uh, environmental groups is pretty much a matter of, of public record, right? Like that plays out that plays out in, in news and social media and amongst in the conversations of activists and whatnot. And that to me seems like a very uh, that seems like a quite you know if you can royal the the quote, that's in square quotes it's the environmental movement. And you start creating internal um, uh, strife about the, within the dialogue of uh, activists about pipelines. That's quite that that strikes me as quite a coup. If that were to happen, that's what I was wondering. And yeah, I agree mm. with that. I agree with that that worry about where this is headed. Mm. Seven. I think it. I think you can't say anything until you know what the other three groups are. Mm-hmm. In reality, exactly. I, it's yeah. useless yeah. a conversation. Yeah. And then yeah. if, if the other three groups are a bunch of groups like that aren't on the front on the front lines, then this then basically four groups who are never going to get anything done anyways traded away their agreement not to do anything to do something yeah. uh, like if, if these were you know if these were the people who are if these were the groups that were actually getting something done and actually being out there and fighting then yeah then 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 that could be a huge blow mm. uh, but if you know like Pembina was never going to stop the tar sands everybody yeah. they just weren't going to do it uh, and so I don't care if they like they were so obviously captured anyways I don't really care what they do yeah. uh, they, as long as they keep giving me decent data about actually their, the tar sands emissions and start lying about that then fine, blow them up. Uh, but well, I think I think an important caveat of that is the people who I've seen already sort of getting really upset are the people claiming to know who these groups are and and the and if the claim and again I'm not going to say them on air and, and I'd encourage the other hosts not to say them as well until they're confirmed. Uh, but if the people who are being claimed to be involved are, then it's the latter of those. It's it's big groups that this it will create some serious problems so I, again we're, we're not going to say because we can't confirm we'll we'll talk about more when we can but it, it doesn't it, it does not seeming at this point like it is some small groups that weren't doing anything anyway i'm also going to point out that if you if you look at that people who are actually stopping any pipelines it is not it's it's not you know the large groups it's it's local it's 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 indigenous populations yeah. uh it's nebraskan farmers uh you know and these are the and, and those are the two who nebraskan farmers and indigenous populations were not the ones sitting at the you know sitting at the table of of uh with the premier well that, that, thank you seven that actually gives me the very perfect segue uh to uh, go to our second and final music break and we'll come back and talk about some cop because my fi- my final thought on it and i think we can all be in complete agreement about this was regardless of who's on that list they didn't speak for us anyway hmm. so you got that's fine they made up their mind they made a deal that that uh that may have been with the devil it may be the best deal in history but regardless they didn't say it on behalf of uh, anyone on the show they we, we certainly didn't agree to anything and uh and as you say very rightly that the, the the i would argue that the majority of the pressure here has been brought by local community activists and uh through partnerships with aboriginal and first nation groups and uh if if this is in fact not a good deal the, those groups are going to be 10 times more activated to do stuff um and so uh if if this was a nefarious plot to try and quell uh, the uh, fire against uh, the tar sands, um, I think somebody seriously miscalculated. <laughs> but or, or it could be the best deal ever. Let's no. wait and find out. But boy, if it's not, this is going to be a poop storm. <laughs> We're going to go to a music break on that. Edward, what uh, what did I fiat give you as our second music break this week? Um, well, first, I'd like to give a shout out to my dad if he's still listening. Um, not his type of show. But like if it was classic rock, he'd be all about that. He's like even more. Is that why rock. you've been playing so much classic rock? Yeah, he he had that effect. Well, let's me. get. What's your dad's name? Uh, Roger Breen. Roger Breen. Uh, sorry about the no classic rock this week. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, so this song is uh, Metric Youth Without Youth.
And we're back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Or, I didn't mention this, you know, it, there's just so many things I forget sometimes. Hmm. Without uh, further ado, also, our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners. Uh, in fact, we were contacted... Um, Yes, uh, yesterday or the day before. I, I don't even know if they're on it yet. They haven't even responded to my my response to their email. But I'm going to go ahead and assume that we're going to be on there. So I'm just going to say anyway. Nice. They're probably not listening right now. But very soon, we'll also be joined by the voice of Bonnie Bay, uh, which is a Newfoundland community radio station. And on their homepage, they have a picture that made me want to move to Newfoundland. I'm looking <laughs> at it right now. Um, it's also sunny there and warm looking. So I'm sure it is all the time. Uh, but uh, yes, community stations across the country now into the U.S. as well, as well as our podcast listeners and a reminder as well that we have we'll have a brief after show as well with some even more chilled out talk uh upstairs uh if you're listening to the podcast uh just after the show if you're not go to greenmajority.ca and uh, you can either listen streaming off the website um or download the podcast or the best thing actually because it, it actually really helps us out uh, and even if you're actually already subscribed we just added we just did a big uh switcheroo with the podcast stream to allow us to actually track who's there. So uh, a request I would do if you're listening on the podcast right now and you uh, have signed up longer ago than since last week, uh, I would uh, please make an appeal that you actually unsubscribe and then here's the most important part, resubscribe. <laughs> um, don't forget the second part. If you're going to forget the second part, don't do the first part. Yes. Um, but it would actually, it actually will, even if you're already getting the show, uh, if you unsubscribe and resubscribe, it will just allow us to actually track you and then we have an idea of who's listening to the show. Uh, it helps us out for a number of reasons, so we would appreciate that. Uh, I will stop there with the self-promotion and go now to Kevin, who's going to open us up on the COP21 talk. Oh, hi, everyone. So I don't really have that many specifics. I've actually been taking a bit of a break. <laughs> Well-deserved. Well deserved. From digesting news. Um, but when I do tune in, I'm, I'm just routinely disappointed with what I'm hearing. Um, hey. <laughs> well, no, not this show. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean I, I actually I never listen you, to this you're show. Allowed to say that, Kevin. You're allowed to say that, Kevin. Just don't say it on air. Yeah. Yeah. Um, My beating I, heart. Uh, no, it's just when I do listen to what's going on with COP, um, I'm just, I'm just, it, this just it sounds like something I've lived over and over again for, you know, as many years as I've been following COP proceedings. Um, to date, uh, with, uh, you know, Canada just seems to, Canada and Justin Trudeau just seem to be getting undue praise simply for chanting the line, Canada's back and we're not Harper. <laughs> and that's fine. I'm as happy as the next person that we're not Harper, uh, anymore. But that just ain't enough. Like just recovering from the Harper years and getting back to what, you know, we might want to consider, I don't know, square one again is just not sufficient progress. And, after that, I hear from Justin Trudeau what I've always heard from Justin Trudeau, which is a lot of glittering generalities, <clears throat> sort of vague, upbeat-sounding sentiments, and no real specifics. And in particular, uh, the two things that have jumped out at me is, you know, Canada is going to be a world leader in carbon capture and storage, and also that our efforts are going to be focused on adaptation. And those strike me as not just uh, insufficient, but just wrong-headed goals. Carbon capture and storage is, to date, an unproven technology. It sounds like the same sort of Pollyanna attitude we had when we said, oh, nuclear energy, no problem. We'll figure out how to store the waste. And and, and we didn't. And with carbon and capture, carbon capture and storage, it's kind of the same problem. How do we store the waste, which is the carbon, you know, going up the stacks, really? And what if we do store carbon successfully for a couple of decades? Only to find out it's not stable. So we've just we've just added whatever you know a few or several decades of of emissions to the sum total of carbon waiting to hit the atmosphere in the oceans, and then and then discover, oops, <laughs> that storage medium or those storage media just aren't aren't completely stable. And as for focusing on adaptation, well, sure, we're going to adapt to climate change because <laughs> that's inevitable. Now we're going to we're going to adapt whether we want to or not. Um, focusing on adaptation is just acknowledging reality to some extent, but to take um, to, 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 to speak in a little bit of, you know, elect, electioneering, we, we, we need to adapt to the climate change we can't avoid anymore, but we simply have to avoid the climate change we can't adapt to. And if we're not talking mitigation, um, we're just, so anyway, they, we're just not having a sensible conversation, uh, yet about this. And I, I, I commented too much hilarity on our fundraising show that I've, I've got no use for hope. <laughs> and because that show, that comment didn't go out to anyone else who is listening because our fundraising show doesn't go out uh, maybe i should qualify that <laughs> for anyone who thinks for anyone who thinks i've gone off the deep end here if we were throwing ourselves at this problem if we were committing ourselves committing ourselves to getting to zero carbon as quickly as possible and doing everything we possibly could to do that 
if we were treating this like we we like to romanticize how we treated the Nazi threat, putting our economy on a quote unquote war footing to defeat the enemy, our, our society on sort of a war footing to defeat this mortal enemy. If we were doing all of those things, we we're doing everything we could. Well, I'd be kicking back and hoping it was enough. <laughs> and that's just about the only use for hope I've got. And until we're doing something like that, anyone peddling me hope that we're going to take sufficient action in the future is really making a – I just translate that immediately to, so we're not doing that yet, right? So and, isn't and, this and, like an old saying about a bird in the hand? Uh, maybe, yeah. but so I've, I realized later, you know, um, it's true. There isn't, there isn't anything left in life that can't be summarized by a Simpsons quote. Ah. <laughs> uh, so my entire position on COP and our commitments uh, – and actually, I do have one more. Sorry. Uh, oh, oh, this business that our agreement will – yes, we appear to have non-legal, le- legally non-binding uh, commitments to avoiding four degrees of warming at this point, folks. <laughs> Woo-hoo! Uh, and and just, just, to point, just to point something out, nothing is more, quote-unquote, legally binding than the laws of physics. <laughs> and nobody cares <laughs> – whether our laws are legally binding, it's the laws of thermodynamics that, that matter here, the laws of physics that matter. And with, you know, those aren't, those laws are going to be legally binding in a way that we can. Anyway, so the Simpsons quote that will summarize my position on this once and for all. Take it away. Are we there yet? No. 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 Are we there yet? Oh man, I I had about four different things from Simpsons that to, to emphasize your point about everything being able to be summed up by the Simpsons. I had four different clips. I was like, which one is it going to be? It could be this one. It could be this one. It could be this one. I thought you were going to double up on my. I don't. You know, can, let's agree to disagree. I don't agree to that. Neither do I. Uh, oh man. So, uh, I, I also want to do a call out to any uh, of our listeners that are uh, aspiring musicians or, or musicians uh, as well. If anyone can make some sort of like intro music for Kevin Farmer uh, about something about I have no use for hope uh, with as some sort of inspiration, uh, I nearly guarantee I will use it. Oh, yeah. S- something really sarcastically set to the sound of music, maybe. You know? Yeah, there we go. Prefer- preferably something with a Simpsons sample in it and we'll have everything covered. Uh, so to move back to the, the policy, though, what I, one of the things I wanted to reference now uh, – Aside from echoing uh, Kevin's comments there, uh, one of the things that has come out uh, recently, I'm actually, uh, forgive me, I'm not, uh, I don't have the date this was released in front of me, but it was very recently, uh, was the U.S. Deep deep, uh, deep Decarbonization Pathways Project, uh, which, among other things, uh, ascribes to have 80% below, here's a number reference number we haven't heard in a while. Remember this one, guys? 80% below 1990 levels. 1990 is still a thing? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, the Simpsons man. were on by the twenty. Yeah, <laughs> the Simpsons were still on. Eighty uh, percent so below nineteen ninety levels by twenty fifty, uh, which, uh, considering what we've seen on the table, would in fact be a fairly legitimate target. That the 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 target years a little bit farther ahead than I think uh, most scientists would tell you would be within the safety range. Uh, but again, it, it, it's 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 very strong opening offer. It's, it's the inventory. I mean, we need to boil yeah. these things to the, these things down to the total atmospheric, and we can't ignore any more oce- o- marine, oceanic inventory of carbon pollution. So, the, you know, reducing and reducing redu- the uh, reduction rates. Uh, it just it, it matters on how fast you do and when you start, right? Like if you if you if you go to zero overnight. That sounds like a tremendous uh, reduction in emissions. But if you wait 30 years to do it, what you're talking about is <clears throat> the existing 30-year inventory you've accumulated. And if you're if you're powering, you know, if you're cutting your emissions again, it's it's uh, it, I, sorry, I've been doing too much calculus lately. It's the area under the graph, people. <laughs> it's the it's the it's the it's the it's the total it's the total inventory. And and these, I mean, no one can keep track of these 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 uh, targets anymore. Some percent below some benchmark year by some other year. I mean, this has been going on for so many years now. I don't even follow this anymore. I just want someone to say, okay, you know, we're we're headed for zero carbon before we hit the actual uh, upper upper limit of this inventory, and, and hopefully well below the upper limit. And uh, and again, we're still sort of. I mean, we're we're still sort of banning around two degrees. Like again, this is about real politic or something. It's about what's you know as much as we can do. Mm. And it, it's going to turn out not to be. It's going to turn out to be what what you know the the behavior of climate systems, uh, and 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 ocean chemistry that's that's going to you know dictate these outcomes. And I don't know why anyone at this day and age is feeling any you know feeling sort of any comfort level about about you know sort of you know, stumbling sleepwalking our way into such an uncertain and dangerous uh, warming scenario. 
All right. I have t- uh, two really fast, rapid-fire last comments, but I'll also do the readout. So, Stefan, you go ahead, and then I'll close up. Okay. I was just going to actually give people some resources. Um, well, two resources two resources and a thought. Uh, if you want to actually find out more about what's happening in COP uh, from people who are actually there, there are two events coming up in Toronto. So, again, I apologize if you're not Toronto-centric. Um, but one is called Paris is Calling Climate Progress Report from COP21, which happens this Sunday uh, at the Friends House, but hosted by Climate Fast. You can check that out. Which will be December 6th. December 6th, yes, uh, at at three thirty, uh, and the second one is um, is f- his, uh, in to Paris with love fantasy cop twenty one, uh, which happens on the eighth at the Center for Social Innovation Annex location, uh, which will be a little more fun, uh, a little more fun atmosphere, uh, but still has some Collins from cop uh, and some learnings and way- great place to, to find out some things as well. Uh, I was going to say, do I almost feel like I need to bring my cosplay costume to that one? I think you can, All right. uh, and that one also includes a um, every day is a good day to be Link. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Link just shows up, um, yeah. So that, and that is the and that that's on the Tuesday, the December eighth uh, at CSI Annex, hosted by Toronto three fifty. So both of those are opportunities to hear people from COP actually describing uh, what is happening there. Uh, my one thought on 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 COP generally, uh, not to muddy the waters too much, is really that you know uh, to some extent I find I've, uh, I I really hope we get a, a an agreement of some nature. My biggest thing, honestly, I was saying is saying to a friend of mine a couple days ago, is I hope the I hope the one thing I hope we get out of this is money being transferred to to developing nations to actually help them leapfrog technology, uh, because that is money that will happen right now rather than promises in the future. Uh, and even as Kyoto showed, it doesn't matter how it doesn't matter how binding you say things are, uh, we can just ignore them whenever we like. Uh, so if there's one thing we get out of this, I hope it's at least some funding for leapfrog technologies and for mitigation uh, technologies to be passed to developing nations. And Stefan, again, with the completely accidental perfect segue. Yeah, Thanks, buddy. Nice. No uh, so my final comment here, and just to wrap up the program, unless you're listening to the podcast, and then we'll be, uh, we'll be back for a brief after show in just a few minutes, uh, we'll be uh, as well to uh, talk. So we were, I've been one of the places you can follow what's going on at COP as well, of course, is to follow Elizabeth May's uh, blog. She is there and doing daily blogging. Uh, a lot of interesting comments from her as well, uh, basically sounding very similar to some of the comments we've said here and some of the other reporting you've seen, uh, which that she's been incredibly impressed with the apparent genuine nature uh, and knowledgeableness and at least the openness uh, of the Canadian delegates and that they're saying all the right things. Uh, some skepticism that it's going to line up to anything actually real, but again, just be, you know, sort of like shell shock of the idea that um, people are actually listening. Uh, she has a, on her day two uh, blog, she had a funny comment about uh, Catherine McKenna having held exactly one zillion more briefings for civil society than any minister in the last 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think she was doing that based on two meetings. <laughs> no, sorry, one meeting in two days ah. uh, was was the basis of her math on that one. Uh, sort of my final comment before before we uh, we transfer to the uh, the end of the show, <clears throat> as well of course was that the Australian uh, minister is talking uh, just was uh, was trying to was being questioned essentially on a huge uh, uh, coal mine saying well you know we're it's being uh, uh, done. Uh, out of the uh, country uh, as well. Sorry, I'm, my eyes are just blanking here. An Indian uh, coal mine. And they're like, well, we're not a colonial power. We can't tell them what to do. So here's my solution from what we said from last week as well, which was uh, essentially the the there's going to be some, uh, what do they call that in economics when somebody sort of breaks ranks? Uh, I forget the term for it. Anyway, uh, there's going to be some players that are going to take advantage of of just no matter what agreement, no matter what deal, they're, they're going to go after, you know, if everyone else is shifting to renewables, there's still money to be made in dirty energy. Some people are just not going to play ball and they're and they're going to go for that that economic stimulus in, uh, instead and I, I don't think they're legally binding not legally binding i don't think it matters that sounds more like the prisoner's dilemma in game theory when someone <laughs> takes the deal it. yeah yeah when, so yeah. so here's my solution for that and and it's exactly what stefan was just saying and it's exactly what i was saying last week as well when especially when we connect issues like global terror quote unquote uh to things like climate change as well was that if you want to solve that problem here's what you do the, the company the countries that are playing and maybe i'm talking maybe this might even include canada as one of the bad actors i'm hoping i won't have to but maybe it will be but the good actors so maybe you're if you're over there in uh in germany or or uh, uruguay just pro- promised to be 80 percent renewable energy countrywide uh from not too long from now is go ahead hurry up build those solar panels and then give them for free or basically for free as uh, uh economic aid to all of the countries that might want to go buy cheap coal and just bankrupt all these 
people and countries and all these investments of people who have tried to make a buck off selling the rest of us out over climate and let them uh, them all go bankrupt because their investments are worthless and we help solve this problem at the same time. And hey, we might actually have some international cooperation here and some teamwork instead of everybody being adver- uh, adversaries. So that's my message for the week. Let's uh, not only build renewable specifically to echo Stefan's comment, let's build renewable. Let's just give the dang stuff to any country that wants it that can't afford to build it on their own right now, right now, right now. That's are it we, for the Green Majority, are folks. Yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? No. See ya. <laughs> have a good Green Week, folks. Take care. Green Majority Program is also brought to you in part by some of our awesome members. Keep in mind, if you would like to support the climate cartoons and some of our other uh, non-radio activities, you can uh, support us by becoming a member. So uh, go to the homepage. There's a button that says, how can you help? There's a number of things you can do that are free. And then you can also become a member. Uh, That would be great. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you in a second. Woo. So we're now here in the bonus show, uh, the after show. We're going to be talking to Justice Stefan this week. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of furious emails still going back and forth in a lot of those groups about uh, some of the stuff that we talked about uh, today. But I was wondering uh, if uh, if you had had, had time to, per- to prepare any further thoughts. Uh, on, uh, are we talking about COP or are we talking about the, uh, the invasion of not leaving? Either, either one. Which did, you, which did you have thoughts on? Uh, I guess I had, I had one more thought on on. On um, on COP, but now I've forgotten what it is. Uh, so let's presume I don't have any more thoughts on that for now. Um, although, I guess we're looking at whatever ever happens there. It was going to be like I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to have an opinion on what's going to happen at COP in that it matters so much more about what happens afterwards. And I think I think I think I think I understand why there's so much of a push to get a good agreement here now. But without without something else happening afterwards, there's sort of like it's almost. Because everyone comes one place, we, there's all this pressure on it. But in reality, when, it, when they bring it back to the legislatures, that's when the real fight has to happen, almost. Right. Uh, well, and that's and, and that's part of what Obama was saying as well was that you know it's the reason that they're saying you know we're not getting legally binding targets was was is not because he doesn't necessarily want them. Well, I mean, you could argue maybe he doesn't, but mm-hmm. uh, it's because he knows for a fact that he can't pass it. Oh, yeah. So if the deal, so he can't pass it within the U.S. because that can't be, it can't go through the Republican Congress. So it's not he's mm-hmm. he's not saying there's we can't have binding agreements because he doesn't want it necessarily. He's saying it because he knows that they, if they do go for binding, he can't pass it, and that would kill it. Yeah. Um, so that's that's an interesting sort of caveat. We don't have we don't have that problem here in Canada, and yet Trudeau is also saying no binding targets. But uh-huh. uh, that's a different conversation. Yeah. Although at the same time, the, the one thing that is true about Canada is that with the Kyoto legally binding targets, that when Canada signed on for that, that is exactly what then killed the sort of intergovernmental conversation. Uh, if, if every single premier had signed on to whatever the the agreement is, then I think we could. Then we, you're right, we could move forward with that. Uh, but I think it needs to be noted and, and remembered that what killed Canada, what, what killed sort of Canada's efforts to um, uh, to have a national strategy in the first place after after we accepted Kyoto. Uh, was really that uh, the province is balked at the at the binding targets that Canada agreed to, and 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 that's what killed the the collaborative effort and collaborative spirit of within uh, uh, in Canada was was when we brought back this legally binding target that the province basically felt like we couldn't make. I don't agree to that. Neither do I. <laughs> exactly. More sense. Um, and that and that really did have this that that had this profound impact um, on. On the on the on the internal discussion, yeah. Not to say that, of course, that legally binding is worse than binding, but more so. But but for me, it's more so that neither really guarantee anything, anyways. Right. Uh, like we got legally binding with Kyoto, and then everyone just pulled out, which is not a solution either. Well, if if I you weren't you weren't here last week, right? Yeah, MA was in yeah. for you last week. So when we talked uh, with MA, uh, so yeah, last week's interview, we talked with the uh, the guy whose name I'm blanking on right now, but from the UK. Uh, who's doing an investment point of view. And he said that, you know, he he doesn't really think the deal matters much at all and not that mm. nothing matters, but that, that, that the, the sort of decisions will be made elsewhere. Mm. Um, M.A. said in the after show that she disagreed with that. I would tend to disagree with it. But in 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 so as far as the, 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 the big picture, so not to sort of discount 
his secondary statement that many of these decisions will not be made at the agreement, but that, but you know, we, we, we agreed that we disagreed that the, that the sort of agreement was meaningless, but it's, it's sort of a hybrid of the two, which is that what's really going to matter is not what people agree to, but what they do. And what they do is largely up to companies as much as it is up to governments to a large degree, as far as, you know, insofar as there are, you know, companies ability to influence governments uh, among many other things Um, and multinational blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so there's a whole bunch of complexity there, but it's kind of, the reason, so I think the case for for a strong deal is not because the deal itself is necessarily going to fix things, regardless of what's in the content, but that the deal itself serves as an indicator to industry that the direction things are going to go, and then the actual weight of the snowball that actually makes these things happens is the business response to these sort of you know market indicators. Mm-hmm. Right. And so yeah. he's sort of right insofar as that it is actually the corporations that are going to make this happen or not, uh, but that we have some small amount of influence over what they do based on the sort of saber rattling we can do at the negotiation. So it's mm-hmm. it's a giant pool party is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think and I and I and I think that sort of brings back to actually one point I did want to make in the show, uh, which. Uh, I sort of half mentioned to Kevin after we had left, uh, which was the conversation that um, that the conversation of the defense of progress, because uh, uh, as Kevin said, he has no use for progress. Basically, uh, that you know that <laughs> paraphrasing, of course, um, but in that you know his point was that anything, any progress, quote unquote, he's seen so many times that we've accepted just progress rather than actual enough to get anywhere that he's lost faith in it. Um, in my only. My only criticism or, 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 or stepping back from that point uh, is on the same lines you just mentioned, which is that I think a deal with, say, in, uh, in the case of Alberta, a deal with Alberta uh, where is, is in another indication of where we're headed. Uh, and, and you sort of saw that. And the more indications of where we're headed you can leave with the business community, the more you'll actually see them sort of actually maybe start moving. Uh, in the same in the same age in the, in the same age of that sort of you know how the coal industry eventually reacted once it became clear that we were moving towards regular towards getting rid of them they sort of became dramatically more open to regulation and I think that's the first I think we're seeing that the fact that four oil companies agreed and supported regulation uh, is is a is at least a sign that we're moving to, that they are sort of they're sniffing sort of the end of uh, their era. And and they are trying to re- get re- strong, get regulations in that they can still survive under before a stronger hit comes in. Um, and I think that's the that's the case that can be made for progress, which is that each time you get one of these things in, it pushes it a little, a little further uh, until uh, until what you really need is a tipping point. And I think that's what Kevin's waiting for. Kevin basically thinks that you know until we see t- like a tipping point of actual commitment is all that will save us, and he's right. Uh, and none of these progress steps will get will necessarily guarantee that. It just ends up being a a question of when it will arrive, yeah. uh, or and if it will arrive fast enough, or if it will arrive at all. Uh, which I guess is the real concern about being accepting just progress is that it will never come. Well, I think that's that's the message for today. Well, the one is a, a, a sub point of the other. One of them is that stuff's complicated, yeah. and the other one is that to to emphasize that point, uh, anything Kevin says that consists of less than 12 words requires an asterisk just to assume <laughs> <laughs> that there is some sort of larger point there that he's making that's not as yeah. quite as glib as what he might make it sound like when he's being short form. So that's what we get for telling him to hurry up is the, is he'll just, you know, throw out these things anyway. But it, yeah, yeah. Exactly. at the end of the day, we're, we're <laughs> largely still in thing. I will also for our, our bonus show listeners here, we're, we're pretty much uh, out of time here, but I do also just want to uh, uh, let you know as well uh, that uh, we're very happy to have just completed taking a bunch of applications for our new co-host. We have not reviewed the applications yet, uh, but that shortly we will be seeing some new faces. So if you're a podcast yeah. listener, you get, uh, you get to know about that first. The only uh, faster way to know about that stuff is to be a member, of course. But, uh, of course. you know, they found out a couple weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for your time, Stefan. We'll see you soon. Have a good one, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye. 